Good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. I want to begin by, uh, by reading our passage for this morning. We're going to continue uh, in Colossians. We're spending, spending time in Colossians this summer, and so we'll be reading from chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. And so again, that's Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, and uh, I'll begin there once I get this thing to sit on my head correctly. Every time. Okay, we'll see. Here we go. All right. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Father. Or do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, who gives thanks to the Father through him. This is the word of God. Well, how do you know when you're part of a community? How do you know when you're part of a community? What does it take for you to feel like, uh, like you belong or, or that you fit in with where you're at or, or that you're among folks who, who kind of line up with, with who you are or who you'd like to be? Back in 2011, I, uh, I moved to Denver on my own. Uh, I, was, I was going out there to head out to seminary, and my, uh, my wife, uh, Allison, was back then my fiance, and she was actually still living here in Manhattan. And so I moved out there, and I, and I was by myself. That first year was, was kind of hard because it was kind of lonely. Uh, as someone who tends to be a little more introverted, it's hard for me to uh, feel like I want to go out and, and find new friends and make new community. Approaching, uh, you know, strangers is, is something that terrifies me. And so, uh, so it was a struggle for me to connect with people or feel like I wanted to go out and find people to, to, to grow in and, and have that community with. However, there was this one time where, where I decided I would put myself out there and, and, and try to go out and meet some people, and, and I ended up finding my people who, who felt like immediate connection just right when I met them. There happened to be a pretty big K-State basketball game that was going to be aired on national television, and I'd heard that a group of Denver-based K-State alums were going to meet and gather at a restaurant to watch the game. And so that they had said that anyone who, you know, who knew full well that spot that is neither Forest or yet in Dell was, uh, was welcome to come and watch the game. And if I totally lost you there, that's a, that's a lyric from the K-State alma mater. So that, that's, where that, that, that's, what, that's where that came from. So I decided to go out and, and try to watch the game while meeting some of these, these fellow K-Staters. And so I go out and I find the restaurant and I walk in and see nobody that looks like they're there to watch the Wildcats, which almost immediately was like, nope, we're done. We're, we're, we're leaving here. We're going out the door. But I, I kept walking around and figured out that there was another room kind of around the corner into the back and it had a bunch more TVs. And as I entered that space, there I was finally greeted by this sea of purple and white. And I knew I had found my people. I had found my community, right? They had all the right jerseys, and they knew the right words to all the right fight songs. They knew the players' names and their stats, forwards and backwards, right? And and they knew how to get on the same page with the person to their left and to their right when it was time to do the Wabash, all right? These, These were my people. This was my community. And part of what it means to be part of a community is finding those people who have a desire to pursue these same kind of things, to share the same sort of values, and to enjoy a same core identity. 
Now, it doesn't mean that every single person has to think the exact same thing or, or, or live the exact same way all the time. That restaurant was filled with a wide variety of opinions on who should be starting and who should be coaching and what place should be called. When we're in community, we are among people who want to, stick to, who want to work together in order to stick together. Right? They want to work together in order to be together. Something bigger than themselves keeps them coming back to each other. And this morning in, in Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul gives us a vision for what Christian community ought to be like. He tells us the sort of attitudes we should have toward one another. And he tells us the kind of things that we should be willing to do together. And he reminds us of what it is that is bigger than ourselves that, that must truly unite us. And it's not an ideology. It's not any kind of a human institution. It's not even a great person or a great leader or a group of, group of people. Everything we do, everything we are, the entire weight of our identity, both individually and collectively as a church, it all depends on Christ. Whatever we do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. In this passage, Paul gives us this big list of what it means to be in Christian community, and each distinctive is, is worth taking time to look at. We're going we're gonna to try to break down and see all these this morning, but overall, I think we could say that what Paul wants us to learn from verses 12 through 17 is that being members of Christ's community means being committed to pursuing Christ's character together. Right? Being members of Christ's community means being committed to, to pursuing Christ's character together. In order for us to be the church, for us to be the body of Christ on this earth, carrying out his commands and conforming our lives to his will, we will have to strive to be more Christ-like together. This will, of course, require an individual effort from all of us. This is something we all have to individually work on. But it will also require for us to learn how to do these things while we live alongside one another. Because the Christian life cannot be achieved alone. Right? The Christian life cannot be achieved alone. We're a body together. We're a people of unity. And we need to work together in order to stick together so that we can go out and share all of the wonder of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit with the world together. And we can do this, but it's going to take a little bit of work. So we're going to get started exploring just what the Apostle Paul calls us to, what it, it takes to have this kind of a community. So again, in verse 12, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Paul tells, tells the Colossians that Christians, collectively together as a community, are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. This is a continuation of a crucial point where, that he has been repeatedly making throughout this letter. We are who we are because of what Christ has done. Right? We are who we are because of what Christ has done. Because we have been made alive in Christ, he said back in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Because we put to death the things of this world in favor of following Christ. That's what Pastor Brian talked about the other week. Because we've become the new self, both individually and corporately, with identities that, that, uh, that are defined by our common faith in Christ, and because we, the church, locally and globally and eternally, we are God's chosen people, thanks to his life, death, and resurrection of Christ, because of all of this, we must, each and every one of us, together, 
live as members of one body, parts of, of one whole. We must be committed to living our lives according to and in imitation of the character of Christ. Being members of Christ's community means being committed to pursuing Christ's character together. We have to make all aspects of our identity secondary to that of being children of God. Now, that doesn't mean that your culture or your history or your family don't matter, all right? But, but it does mean that they are not ultimately or primarily the things that you are defined by. If you are a follower of Christ, you are first and foremost de- defined by being a beloved member of God's family. And because of this, you have to be willing to commit to pursuing the kind of life and the kind of character that makes it possible for you to live joyfully, and peacefully with this great big new Christian family that you are now a part of. And Paul says that that first step that we have to take together in order to do this is we have to realize that there's a dress code in the family of God. But it's not for our, our outward body, all right, but it's for our heart and our mind and our soul. To be part of Christ's community, you've got to clothe yourselves with the virtues that look most like that of Jesus. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. The literal, tra- literal translation of the Greek word for compassion that, 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 that's listed here is actually, the, if you were to translate it literally, it's the bowels of mercy. Right? It's the bowels of mercy. In the ancient world, your guts were considered like the seat of your emotions. And so anytime you were having a strong emotional reaction, it was coming up out of your bowels. To have compassion is to mercifully care about someone. It's to love them deeply, to enter into suffering to the extent that that you share in it. Their suffering becomes yours as well. The core of who you are connects with and feels the pain of others. This is the kind of compassion that's supposed to happen here in this church, in this community. Kindness, if we keep it simple, is just being good to other people. Being good to one another. Acting with kindness is believing the best in one another and seeking to bless one another in every way. Humility is the exact opposite of selfishness or self-centeredness. You have to value others above yourself. You must look to the interest of others before your own. You have to live well with the people on your left and on your right. It's interesting to note that of all of the virtues Paul lists here, this is the one, humility is the one, that the Romans, that the culture at Paul's time absolutely did not understand. They hated this virtue. To humble yourself was to be a coward. But in just a moment, we'll see why it is so woefully misguided to understand humility as cowardice. Paul also says that we must be gentle. Some translations might use the word meekness. Both are are, are great, great ways to, to capture the idea that he's talking about. If we're gentle, then we abandon any claim to anger or hatred or aggression toward one another. There is a a popular theological dictionary that says gentleness is the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense by one's sense of self-importance. Right? Gentleness is the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. If I am gentle, then I don't need to be the most important person in the room. Right? If I am gentle, I don't need to diminish others to improve my stock. A light touch and a gentle heart is infinitely greater than all of the meaningless strength and bravado that we can create on our own to pump ourselves up. 
patience is the opposite of resentment. It's the opposite of revenge or wrath, all which seek to, to, to reach out and grab the, the, the justice we feel must be ours, the recompense we must have right away. Patience allows us to give others the gift of time and understanding. Patience remembers that we've got eternity ahead of us, and so we can handle discomfort and oppression and persecution. Patience assures us and reminds us that if things aren't okay right now, we can trust in the promise that they will be okay someday. And because of that, we can wait, and we can wait well. Now, this is a very nice list, and, and, and I mean, who wouldn't want to be a part of a community that, that had this as their character? Who wouldn't want to be a part of a community that had these virtues coming out at all times? But here's the thing that raises the stakes. We're not just any community. We are Christians. We are followers of Christ. Which means that these, these mere definitions and descriptions, they're not enough. We cannot truly say that we are pursuing these virtues unless we also consider and study and submit ourselves to the example of how Jesus modeled every single one. It was the compassion, it was the mercy of Christ that led Jesus to walk on the road to Calvary and be nailed to a cross. To clothe ourselves with compassion means to clothe ourselves with sacrifice in the same way that he did. Our example is Jesus refusing to choose himself and instead choosing to give himself up for our sakes. It was the kindness of Christ that leads, it is the kindness of Christ that leads us to repentance. If you think about it, as you read through the Gospels, Jesus looks at people and he's always like, yep, you, you too, you should come along, you should come sit by me, you should draw near to me, you should come to me and let me change your life for no other reason other than I want to do this for you. I want to be kind to you. I want to be good to you. The limitless kindness of Jesus is our example and our standard for the kindness that we should have toward others. It was the humility of Christ that allowed for the miracle of the incarnation and the possibility of our salvation. Nothing says it better than what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Our model for humility is Jesus' own willingness to go from the Son of God to the servant of all. The Romans were wrong, and our culture is wrong. Humility is not cowardice. It can't be, because it is part of the essence and the character of the Lord of creation. It was Christ himself that declared his heart to be gentle and humble, capable of providing rest for all the weary souls that came seeking his peace. We must be gentle and create the same kind of peace and the same kind of gentleness for those that seek us. It was the patience of Christ that allowed and continues to allow for time, for time for people to seek the Lord out, time for confession, for forgiveness and repentance. You and I have been given patience for God, from God for all of our sins, so we must give the, that same gift of patience to others as well. These are the sort of virtues that God values most. This is the character that Paul says must come to define every Christian community. 
But we can't stop there because Paul gets very specific about what kind of circumstances these virtues must most show up in. In verse 13, he says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone else. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Our compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience for one another must be expressed in our willingness to bear with one another in difficult circumstances and pursue forgiveness in our conflicts for the sake of preserving our Christian community. Again, Christ is our example. He sets the pattern and the standard for what forgiveness looks like. We don't forgive each other because we're so great. We don't forgive each other because it's easy or because conflicts are not a big deal. We forgive each other because we've been forgiven. We forgive because we want to be more like Jesus. In order to, to complete this, this large-scale vision of these virtues and this character in Christian community, Paul adds one more idea. He says, put over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Above, around, surrounding, encompassing all things, we must have love. Love is the binding, unifying force of all of these virtues. Love is the binding, unifying force of our community, of the church. Compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, forgiveness, all of these can only attain their full power if they are covered by and saturated with love. So when looking over this list, it's important to remember that these are commands, right? These are commands. They're not options. There's not a single virtue listed here that you can choose to ignore and still be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's also important to remember that these virtues are presented in the context of being necessary for being God's chosen people. That means the church community is brought closer together to obedience. It's brought closer to, to being in right relationship, and, and, and our discipleship is, is made better when we are all committed to pursuing these things. It also means that if any of us is dismissive of these virtues, if anyone feels like it's just not part of their personality to be compassionate, or to be kind, or to be loving. That decision hurts our church. It wounds our witness to the world. And it misrepresents who Jesus is. These things are not optional in the life of a disciple of Jesus. You must respond to God's choosing you as his beloved by growing in these desires and, in and by pursuing these good and beautiful ways of living. So ask yourself this, which of these might the Lord be inviting you to grow in? Which of these virtues might the Lord be inviting you to grow in? In what ways could you advance the, in character of your compassion, of kindness, humility, and gentleness, patience, and forgiveness? and love. But please, as you consider this, please remember that it's not simply about just getting the, the, the dictionary definition of these virtues right. To pursue these things means that you pursue them in the way that Christ pursued them, that they look the way that they looked for Christ, like look, that they looked for Christ. We all must keep Jesus as our example because he is the author and perfecter of our faith. So to grow in character, you'll first have to seek out Jesus. You have to pray and keep on praying and make it your habit to seek the Lord in that divine conversation. You'll have to go to the scriptures and see for yourself how Jesus treated others. 
You'll have to spend time with people of this, at this church, right? Maybe like going to a, to a park and a pool party. That's a hint. Come with us to the park and the pool party later today. And you'll have to be willing to, to, to both give forgiveness, all right, when, you, when you've been wronged, and also receive forgiveness if you've been the one who was wrong. All right, you've got, you've got to enter into this, this process of forgiveness within our community. Now, none of that is easy, and it probably won't come naturally to most of us. But the question I have to ask you this morning is, will you do this? Will you do this? Will you commit to being and becoming the kind of person that Jesus expects you to be in order for, to, to, to be good in his church, in order to be good for his church? Will you commit to becoming the kind of person Jesus wants you to be and pursuing these virtues? Paul has more to say about what it means to be members of Christ's community in pursuit of Christ's character together. In, in verse 15, he says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Peace in the body of Christ and in our church, it must be our common goal. The peace of Christ is meant to rule, all right? It's meant to be the decisive factor in all of our competing concerns and all of our interests, all right? P peace is meant to be the decisive factor in, in all of our conflict. And once again, Christ is our model. Back in Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul had told us that Jesus made the ult peace the ultimate reality. He, he made peace the ultimate reality and, and a present possibility by his blood shed on the cross. This peace is not forced on us or brought about by, by strength. This peace is forged through sacrifice. We have to be humble and we have to be willing to seek it out even at great cost. And at this time, I need to put some of what, I've, uh, what we've learned this morning into practice. In pursuit of all these virtues and in pursuit of the love that I have for you all and in hope of repairing some trust and, and, and restoring peace, I want to clarify a few things for, for, for those that, that call faith their home. A few weeks ago, I posted some thoughts and feelings that I had about the Supreme Court decision to reverse Roe v. Wade to Facebook. I didn't do so lightly, and I know, as I know that it's an extremely sensitive topic, and it's deeply personal to, to many of you. What I wanted to do in that post was express my concern and understanding to, to people who were confused and even upset or even frightened by this decision and, and the changes it might trigger in, in, in our society in, in the days and, and weeks and months to come. I wanted people to know that, that, that as a Christian and that as a pastor, I cared about them, even if at the same time I affirm and believe things like the sanctity of human life and the full personhood of the unborn. I agree with the statement that Pastor Brian and Cindy read a few weeks ago on, Ju on July 22nd that was crafted by the elders and intended to share and make clear the hearts and the beliefs of the leadership of our church. But I also felt in that post, I felt the need to say something to those who felt alienated and maybe even opposed to Christianity in light of the Roe v. Wade decision. Because I wanted them to know that, that Christians could be compassionate, that we could be understanding for their anger and their fear, even if we disagree about what caused those feelings. In the days that followed that post, post going up, I, I learned that what I shared worried a lot of you that call faith home. It confused some of you, and, and my lack of clarity in that post led to misunderstandings. And those misunderstandings that I helped create damaged the peace of our church. I want you to know that I am sorry 
that that post created that, that had that lack of clarity. And I am sorry that my confusion caused any of you to feel troubled or to feel scared about what is going on at your church. I, I'm sorry if that, if that is how that post impacted you. I am more than willing to listen to your concerns. I'm more than willing to discuss what I wrote if it would help any of you feel, feel better and better understand what I was trying to accomplish with what I wrote. But I also hope that I can seek your forgiveness for the ways that I failed as your leader and as your pastor and as your brother in Christ. I am called to peace with you, just as you are called to peace with me. That doesn't mean uniformity of thought. We are always going to find things, I'm sure, that we can disagree about and, and, and feel differently about. But it does mean that if we have conflict that drives us apart, that we commit to our mutual union in Christ to come together once again in fellowship. And so please, if you feel like it's necessary to come talk with me, please, please do that. Please come seek me out. I, I need to know that you want to, to speak to me so that we can repair what's been damaged together. I want to be in fellowship with you, so please, I'd love to sit down and talk. And I, I want to listen, I want to hear you out, and I want to have a good discussion that brings us together once again. Not only is the peace of Christ to rule among us and characterize our community, Paul says that the message of Christ, the word of God, the gospel of the good news, it must be alive and active in all that we do. In verse 16, he said, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And all we teach, and all we say, and all we share, and all we think, and all we sing, in every way we worship God, and in all of our relationships with one another, the message of Jesus must be found alive and well and flourishing. And let it not be said that, that, that all, all we think of the message of God is that it's overbearing, that, that it's rules, that it's just some stuffy old ancient list that for some reason we feel like we have to obey. And the message of Christ is a blessing. It is a gift. We should be filled with joy and gratitude that our God demands that we make our community a place of compassion. We follow a God who demands we make our community a place of kindness and humility, of gentleness and patience and forgiveness and love. Do you realize how freeing it is that to follow Jesus means you can put to death things like anger and hatred and greed and spite? You can put to death all of these things that the world tells you you must, you must have, you must possess, you must hold? That, that you, must, you must be horrible to the person next to you because that's just the way the world works, all of that dies in the church. All of that dies in a relationship with Jesus. The message of Christ says, be free. Evil is overcome. The powers of this world are broken. Your assurance of salvation is secured forever. Put that message on your lips this week. Get your gratitude for God into your conversations into your everyday stories and let it flow as naturally as talking about the weather or, or the news or what silly things your pets did this week. All right, I'm not saying you can't talk about those other things. I want to hear about what silly things your pets did this week. But what I'm saying is you need to cultivate a desire to talk about more than those things, to teach about more than all of that, to sing about more than all of that. Go out today, on this very day, and find someone and tell them about the coolest thing that God has done for you lately. Go find somebody, just talk to them about it. All right, or if, you're in a, or if you're in a season where you're like, you know what, life's not great right now, things are really hard, go find somebody and talk to them about how even in the midst of that hardship, you know that God is still there. And you know 
that he is good. Go let the message of Christ dwell among you. It needs to dwell among us. It needs to be in us and around us and pass through us richly. Bless one another and bless the world with the message you carry. And finally, in verse 17, it says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, this doesn't mean that you get to do whatever you want and just call it Christian, right? That's not what we're about. To do all we do in word or deed in the name of the Lord Jesus means that the commands and the character of Christ condition all of our actions, right? All of his words, everything that he said, it influences and defines all we do. And all of the glory that comes from that, all of, the, all of the glory that we might receive from living this way, we turn it all back to God with gratitude in our hearts. This is the vision for what it means to, be, to have life in the church. This is the vision for what it means to be in community, to have our people together. This is what we must all do and desire for each other. Being members of Christ's community being, means being committed to pursuing Christ's character together. Would you all please pray with me? Father God, this is your vision for who we should be. These are, are, these are the, the ways you want us to live that you, you call good, you call loved, that you want us to move into. And Lord, what a beautiful thing they are. You don't ask us to, to, to do things that are, that are horrible or frightening. You ask us to be, to be kind and compassionate, to have humility, to love one another. God, I'd ask that every person in this room seriously consider how you might be calling them to grow in one or all of these areas. That they accept the challenge of seeking you. That this week as they read the scripture, as they sing these words here in a moment, that they seek the Lord and all of his virtues and learn how to become more Christ-like individually and learn how to become more Christ-like together as a church so that we can go out into this Manhattan community and love people well in your name for the glory of God. Amen.